Well, welcome today. Grab those seats. We good to see so many dress blues around here in the house. The Air Force Academy cadets. You look good, man. Thanks for being here today. Uh, Pastor Brady and our global ministries team, they're on a plane right now heading down to Central America with this thing called COVID. So much of the world has locked down. And really the people that pay for it the most are the poor, where supplies can't get out and resources are sort of bottlenecked and global supply chains are messed up. And so Pastor Brady and the team, they're heading down for the first time to reassess what's going on in Central America with our partners. And we've got a school down there and land that we've bought, taking care of kids and working with orphanages and drilling wells and so much of that. So we pray blessing over you as you go, Pastor Brady and team, and may the Lord cause everything you touch to prosper. Amen. Amen. If you have your Bibles, you can turn to Galatians chapter two. We're in week four of our series going through this great book, this letter that Paul wrote to the people in Asia Minor. And we're going to be reading Galatians 2, 15 through 21. I'll read the text and we'll pray. So hear the word of the Lord from the Apostle Paul. He says, we who are Jews by birth and not those sinful Gentiles, we know that a person is not justified by the works of the law but by faith in Jesus Christ. So we too have put our faith in Christ Jesus that we may be justified. Everyone say justified. Justified by faith in Christ and not by the works of the law because by the works of the law, no one will be justified. That's the theme again, justified, justified, justified. But if in seeking to be justified in Christ, we Jews find ourselves also among the sinners. Like if we get off track, if we don't stay true to the law, uh, doesn't that mean that Christ promotes sin? He's, that was an argument going around and he goes, that's a silly argument. Absolutely not. Christ doesn't promote sin. If I rebuild what I destroyed, then I really would be a lawbreaker for through the law, I died to the law so that I might live for God. Flag that phrase in your mind so that I might live for God. I have been crucified with Christ and I no longer live, but Christ lives in me and the life I now live in the body. I live by faith in the son of God who loved me and gave himself for me. And I do not set aside the grace of God for if righteousness could be gained through the law, Christ died for nothing. This is the word of the Lord and all God's people said, thanks be to God. Amen. Let's pray. Lord, we need you. Could we say it any simpler? We need you. We do not show up to church today with everything we need to live this righteous life. We don't show up with enough power. We don't show up with enough wisdom. We don't show up with enough faithfulness. We need you. And we believe that your word is a lamp unto our feet and a light unto our path. And so what we're saying is we're throwing away every other storyline. We're throwing away every other source of information. We're throwing away every other little narrative that swirls around us. And we say that your word is true. And we pray that your word would live among us and move among us. That you'd walk these aisles and walk our hearts. And so we say, Lord, have your way. In the name of the Father and the Son and the Holy Spirit and all God's people said, amen. 
Lisa and I, 14 years ago, when we had our first child, Lillian, Carol, Grothy, we knew that we had two years to fly for free with that little girl. And it was going to get really expensive after that. And then we knew we were praying that ensuing children would come, which indeed they have come. And it just, you know, you got to take out a HELOC just to go anywhere, you know. So we, we thought in two years, we've got a free flight for Lily and we're going. So we got on planes and we went to Scottsdale and we, you know, we just traveled. And one trip, I remember she was about 18 months and we'd just taken off and gotten up in the air and we were settling in. They're about to go ding to tell you you're at 10,000 feet. And I look over at Lillian and she's going, "Ah," she's messing with her ears and she doesn't really know to articulate what's going on, but I know what's going on. Her ears are popping, she needs some help. And so I reached in one of our seven bags that we had for our child, you know, and I'm going through, okay, do we need the sewing kit? And do we need the, you know, the uh, ironing board? No, we don't, no, I got some gum. So I got some gum for Lillian and I handed it to Lillian, I unwrapped it and I, and I, and I said, here, here, baby, this will help your ears. And I reached down to throw away the gum wrapper and I look back up and she's jamming the piece of gum. <laughs> and baby, I said, baby, that's not how that works. That, that's not how that works. Bless your heart. Like, uh, that, and I think Paul is looking at these young believers in this moment in their development. This is just not too long after Jesus was raised from the dead and ascended to the right hand of the Father and the word goes from Jerusalem, Judea, Samaria and to the uttermost bounds of the earth and they're out there in Asia Minor trying to figure out what it looks like to be justified. Like how, how do we find our, here's the question of this text. How does one find themselves justified before God? Paul, he looks at them and he says, justification does not work by simply by strict adherence to the law. In verse 15, he says, we who are Jews by birth. In other words, he's saying, we are the ones whose forefather climbed Mount Sinai and spoke with God as a man speaks with his friend face to face. In the Hebrew text, you could translate it mouth to mouth, that Moses is up there on the mountain, mouth to mouth with God, and God speaks to him, breathes the spirit, just as we sang, into his nostrils, and Moses becomes a living being and gets these words. And he comes down and, 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 and says, here's what it looks like to follow Yahweh. Paul says, we who are Jews by birth, the ones who got the first word from God, we're not the sinful Gentiles. Even we know that a person is not justified by the works of the law. Now, typically we hear this, a person is not justified by the works of the law. And we just get cynical real quick. We start going, yeah, the law, you know, we're grace people and all that legalism and all that stuff. You know, God is not some heavy handed, you know, guy out in the clouds who's just looking to strike us. And we, we get really cynical about the law and we start throwing it away. And I'll just say that we hear no man will be justified by the law and we act as if the law is intrinsically bad. And I'm here to say today, no. The law is good. As we said earlier, Psalm 119, your word is a lamp unto my feet and a light unto my path. Psalm 119:11. how can a young person keep their way pure? By abiding in the word, the law of the Lord. And the other, the psalmist said, the unfolding of your word giveth light. Like the law is good. 
Lisa and I, when we were dating, you know, we grew up in Christian homes and we wanted to be pure and re- remain pure until we were married. And, and then we finally got engaged and we had six months from the time. I said, will you marry me till the time that we actually walked down the aisle? And, and we were gonna remain pure and my parents encouraged us and Lisa's parents. And I, in fact, I would take Lisa out on these dates and my dad jokingly would, you know, come to the front door and hand me a Bible. He goes, you know, take this with you and put it between you because, you know, it's hard to climb over Matthew, Mark, Luke, and John to put your hands on her. <laughs> keep it clean, he would say. Don't, don't do it. Just keep it clean, you know. You got six months. This is good. This is fine. You know, you can make. And, but, and I would go to Lisa's house and we would stay up talking and dreaming about the future. And at that point, you just want to be married. Ah! Like, I don't want to drive home. I want you to be my home. I want to stay where you are and not ever have to leave. Anyone ever been there? But it was good for us to adhere to the law. It was good for us to say no to those fleshly desires. It was good for us to be patient because if I can't be patient while we're dating, how can Lisa know that I can be patient when we're married? And so to say for six months and actually those 22 years, we're gonna just, we're gonna, we're gonna try to live faithfully before the Lord. We're gonna try to be clean. We're gonna try to keep our thoughts in check. That is practicing for a future of faithfulness that the discipline is good. Let's not say the law is bad. The law is good. And in fact, the great thinker Dallas Willard, he once said that grace is not opposed to effort. It's opposed to earning. Effort is good. Discipline yourself. Practice. Memorize the scriptures. Stay faithful and, and, and keep yourself in check and have accountability. Effort is good. Grace is just opposed to earning. So let's not at this moment get cynical about the law, reading Paul and say the law is bad and it's just, it's just a grace fest, a sloppy, cheap grace fest. It's not. Grace is not opposed to effort, it's opposed to earning. We hear no man will be justified by the law and act as if the law is intrinsically bad. That's one extreme on the spectrum. But if you swing the pendulum way over here, the other extreme is trying to make the law our Lord, the thing, the way that we are saved. And, and, and many of us have been in these moments and we, many of you have grown up in, in legalistic cultures where it was all about performance and, and, and you didn't understand that you've been saved by grace through faith and this is not of yourselves lest anyone should boast, Ephesians 2. People who live in this paradigm that the law is everything They're happy when they seem to be crushing it, which who of us is ever really crushing it? But but they start to really take pride and they bow their chest out and shoulders back and I've got this thing locked down and I'm, 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 I'm following all the rules. We're happy when we're locked in and then we're despairing when we fall apart, when we make a mistake and we're beating ourselves up and... We're also in this paradigm tempted to be, the, uh, you know, live suspicious of others. We're the ethical and moral policemen of the universe. And we're, you know, I don't, you aren't doing it right and you aren't doing it right. And if you just knew like me, you'd be doing it right. And like, have you ever seen people like this? We'll live on the roller coaster ride of our performance and the performance of others. And Paul says that's not going to work either. But let me just say this, in this paradigm, it's so easy, an obsessive sin consciousness, it blurs our awareness of grace. 
when we're, when we're focused on who's doing it right and am I doing it right and I messed it up and what's wrong with me and, and just beating ourselves up. When we live in this zone, a, a, a sin consciousness blurs our awareness of grace. So here's a quick summary to catch us up. The law is good. Which of the 10 commandments, if you obeyed them, would be bad for you to obey? None of them. <laughs> so the law is good. It is not bad, but it can never be the thing. It can never be the, Paul says the law is supposed to get you ready to come face to face with God, to begin to live unto God. Okay. So what we want to find is right here in this middle way, Paul says justification before God is found through our union with Jesus Christ by faith. Everyone say union. Union, another theological term would be participation with or identification with Jesus Christ by faith. Jesus is the story, says Paul. And Paul says, I have been crucified with Christ. Prepositions matter. And if you read Paul, you read through the New Testament, his prepositions are theological statements. I have been crucified with Christ and, and I no longer live, but Christ lives in me. Here's another one. His most, his most uh, used prepositional phrase in the New Testament is in Christ. Prepositions matter. It's, it's better to be around tractors than to be under tractors, right? Prepositions matter. And Paul says, I've been crucified with Christ. I'm buried with him and I no longer live, but Christ lives in me. Justific justification comes by faith in Jesus Christ. So the question is, how does union with Christ happen? If union is the goal, if, if coming face to face with God and living in this middle space of doing that dance of fellowship and communion and participation with, how does that happen? The, the word that Paul uses here in Galatians 2.20 is crucified. Crucified, And throughout the New Testament, the image that Paul is carrying with him as he uses this, this phrase crucified is the image of baptism. And I've baptized hundreds of people here at New Life Church in 16 and a half years. And some of my favorite memories in this building uh, and with congregants, just seeing people step into the baptismal tank and, and say, I've decided to follow Jesus. No turning back, no turning back. Little kids and parents around the tank and grandparents and aunties and uncles, people who don't even believe they'll come to a baptism service because it's a, it's a rite of passage. And, and they're gathered around, they're going, yeah, they're yelling and throwing things and shouting. And then they go back to their atheistic existence. But, but in these moments, like we can just do it, right? But one of my favorite stories of baptism was this guy, big old boy and, and yoked up and tatted up and, and like a guy that could crush you. And he steps into the water and he says, all right, pastor, here's what you're gonna do for me. <clears throat> and I was like, already this has never happened to me. No one has told me what I'm going to do for them. Like, this is my job, bro. Um, but he said, here's what you're gonna do for me. I've done a lot of bad stuff in my life, <clears throat> like a lot of bad stuff in my life. So you're gonna hold me under for a really long time. <laughs> Cause I got a lot of stuff that's got to get washed away, baby. And so I'm kind of on my back foot. Yes, sir. Um, but this is weird. He said, so I'm, you're going to hold me under for a long time. And then I'll pinch your arm when I'm ready for you to bring me up. This is just weird, man. This is weird. But I didn't say that cause he could crush me. So I took him and I said, I baptize you today in the name of the father and the son and the Holy spirit and put that dude under the water. 
and I was ready. I start seeing bubbles coming up. It was so weird. His kids at this point are looking at me like, you're killing my dad. What, what is, uh, and his feet are kicking now. There's bubbles everywhere. His wife is starting to sweat. And I'm thinking, I can see the Gazette, you know, pastor arrested for, uh, uh, you know, involuntary baptismal homicide or manslaughter, you know? It, it honestly, it was this long. And then finally he pinched my arm and he shot up out of the water, screaming. He goes, yeah! He hugs me, he dunks me, he dunks his kids. He's throwing things, he's splashing water everywhere. And he goes, I'm a new man. There's something about identifying with Christ in his baptism and being raised into resurrection life. In 2003, when we were designing this building and building it, we moved in in 2004, at the end of 2004, we made a, an architectural decision based on a theological conviction. If you look over here on the floor, we've got two crosses that are cut into the floor and you take off the lid and you step down into the steps, you step into the cross with Jesus. That's not just some random throwaway detail. Like the ancient Christians imagined baptism as walking down into the death of Jesus and you step down and all your sins are washed away and all your past is washed away and all your lesser narratives and the cheaper stories that you used to try to live by, they're sent downstream into meaninglessness and you're raised up and you split the, the water and you step up out of the steps into resurrection life, down into death, out into resurrection life. Brothers and sisters, baptism is the image for us to carry. Get into the water with Jesus. And when someone offends me, I, I want to fight. I want to I bow up because most of the time I don't truly believe that God will be my vindicator. So I think I have to be my vindicator. That's not how the story went. And that's not true. And no, you will not. And anyone else go like this? You know, someone says something to you on Facebook and pops off or someone offends you at the office or someone steals a, a check that you thought was your commission check or someone, you give them a loan and, and, and they skip town and never pay. Have you ever been offended by someone? And the temptation in this moment is to bow up. And Paul says, I have been crucified with Christ. And now I no longer live. I want you to understand that, that I have been crucified. The Greek word there for I is ego, from which we get the English word ego. My ego has been crucified with Christ. And I, Daniel Grothy, as Daniel Grothy in the flesh, protecting my own story, that thing got drowned. Like it is not my job to, to propound my brand and to make my life strong. My job is to identify with Jesus, to step down into death and to get buried and to get crucified and to come up. I, I have been offended and I've gone under the waters and somehow Jesus by his spirit makes it so I come up speaking, Father, forgive them for they didn't even know what they were doing. You go out to a soccer match and you got, you know, the opposing team and some jackal of a dad on the other side, you know, yelling, he thinks his kid's Pele, his kid's not gonna make high school, you know. <laughs> he's out there and there's 12 year old referees making $20 an hour and he's screaming at a 12 year old, giving it to him. And I think, and you know, I wanna go speak. I have been crucified with Christ. <laughs> and it is not Daniel Grothy that lives anymore, but it's Christ that lives within me. I remember loaning someone money 
12 years ago and we were just having little kids and we didn't have much and, and I, I felt like we had a good faith agreement and it was pretty simple and he said, brother, I got you. He skipped town, never saw that money again. And Jesus goes, why don't you go under the waters and just trust me to be your provider? I don't give loans anymore. Hang on, let me finish my sentence. You're laughing. I don't give loans anymore that I'm not comfortable not getting paid back for. Because it's just, it's okay, Lord, are you saying to do this? Uh, can, I, can I help? Great. Am I okay if they, if they leave town and never pay me back? Yes. And so those are the situations. I am not protecting my story anymore. And believers in Jesus Christ, it's not our job to defend ourselves. It's not our job to speak up for ourselves. It's not our job to, to fight back. The ego has been drowned. My preferences have been pushed to the periphery. The world does not revolve around me. I have been crucified with Christ. And so I come up and Paul says, as you come up out of that interaction, it's no longer I that lives. It's the life that Christ lives in me. And so I can come up and I can start saying things like Jesus said from the cross. Into your hands, Father, I commit my spirit. In, I, it, it doesn't matter anymore because I believe that if, I'm, if I've hitched my wagon to Jesus, that I'm headed toward resurrection life and I'm headed toward life that will never quit. And it doesn't matter if someone offends me along the way. It doesn't matter if my name gets, it just doesn't matter because Jesus matters and I've been with him in baptism and I've come up and now Jesus is living in and through me. And friends, I don't know what the world needs more than the people of God living like this. Crucified with Jesus, raised up to new life with Jesus, stepping out into a tribalistic, politically chaotic world with an announcement that Jesus Christ is Lord and everything's gonna be okay. And you can be identified with Jesus too and raise friends. This is the way forward. I remember hearing 1980s, late 1980s of a pastor in a small town. And in a small town, those of you who grew up in small towns, you'll know that everyone kind of has a beat on everyone else's story. It's, it's, it's kind of a half story. It may be some of it's gossipy, but everyone kind of knows where everyone stands and, and, and small enough where the story can get out. And so this pastor is driving to church early on a Sunday morning, gets there at seven, and he pulls into the parking lot and there's someone out there picketing in the parking lot going, Christians are bad for society. You know, Christians are a threat. You ever been around those people? Christians are a threat. Christians are, and, and the guy was like, man, don't you have something better to do on a Sunday morning at seven? But the guy's out there yelling and then 8.30 family starts showing up and kids get out of their car and they, you know, small town, small parking lot. This guy's picketing, walking around, yelling at little kids and yelling at their parents. And it's really just kind of unnerving for this pastor and for this little community. Next week, pastor pulls in 7 a.m., Christians are homophobes, Christians, rah, rah, rah. you know, Christian, and each week he's got a new sign and he's a, a new mantra and he's yelling and he's screaming and, and the pastor honestly is going into the church building and he's really flustered and, and he's, he's caught off guard and is this guy going to be a threat to us? Is he going to come in here? But, but by week six, him being unnerved moved to him just being angry. He'd pull in and that guy would look the pastor in the eyes as the pastor was turning in one little entrance to the parking lot and he's shouting at him and he's red faced and the pastor goes in the, in the building and he's walking around the, 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 the sanctuary and he's seething. Who's this guy think he is? 
And I'll just tell you as a pastor, it doesn't really work to preach the good news of Jesus Christ when you're mad. Let me tell you about the good news. Jesus is Lord, dad gum it. You know, like, you, that, like if you don't get your soul clean, you can't tell the best news to all the world and it land. And this pastor for, for months, four months this went on, every Sunday morning, this guy's out in the parking lot and, and the, the pastor comes into the church and about month four, he said, Jesus spoke to me that morning and said, hey, you haven't talked to me about that guy yet. I don't think you love him. Like you're really mad. When did you think you were gonna start like actually praying for him? Jesus goes, hey, remember, I, I kind of know something about that. When, were you gonna say, forgive him, Father, for he knows not what he does? Were you gonna ask for me to be good to him? Were you going to bless those that curse you and pray for those who despitefully use you? Were, were you gonna turn the other cheek at any point coming up? And the pastor said, here I am four months in and I should have known what to do, but I was living. My ego was living. And, and baptism isn't just a one-time event, it's an ongoing process. You can get baptized and come up clean, but two or three weeks later, you can look like a shell of a human being. And so this pastor was four months in to wanting to just stick it to this guy and speak up for himself and defend his church and defend his, and the Lord started to get his heart. And that pastor on month four started saying, Father, forgive him for he knows not what he does. And I pray that you would bless him. And I pray that you'd be good to him. And Lord, I pray that you would address every wound that is in his heart. And Lord, I pray that you would soften him just as you're softening my heart. And I pray, Lord, that you'd, you'd bring us together in unity. And, in, and the pastor starts sending out donuts and coffee to the guy. Month four, the guy starts getting the royal treatment in the parking lot. And he said, eight months later, I was standing up preaching and you know, pastors, you're, you're locking eyes and you're proclaiming the good news. And this is a small enough church where he sees every single set of eyes and locks in. And he said, in the back row, there was the man sitting through his sermon. And he said, immediately my system flushed with that negative adrenaline and with all those bad storylines, he's here to make a scene and what's he gonna do? And the pastor's preaching sort of defensively now. And he said, at the end of the service, he said, amen, let's stand and pray. And everyone started walking out after the service was over. And this man came from the back row and walked down front. And the pastor said, my heart started beating so fast. And what's he going to do? And what's this interaction going to be like? And the guy walks up to the pastor and he says, I know you don't really know me personally. And you probably don't have much to think of me. But I went to the doctor this week and I got a terrible diagnosis. And I thought, where am I gonna go? And he said, the pastor told me, he said, in that moment, I don't know where it came from. He said, in that moment, I grabbed that man and I pulled him into my chest and I kissed him on the side of his head and I started praying, Jesus, I pray by your spirit that you would heal him, that you would restore him, that you would renew him, that you would raise him up. Father, I pray that he would know your love and I pray that he would know how much we love him and we'll stand with him and we'll walk with him in this season. Father, I pray that your kingdom would come and your will would be done. Friends, you know where this starts. It starts in walking down into the death of Jesus and saying, for I have been crucified with Christ and I, my ego, ego no longer lives, but the life that I live is the life that Christ by his spirit is now living in me. And the pastor was able at the altar that day to do holy work because he had died first. 
and he'd been raised up. Can you say amen today, church? How do we do this? Paul, at the end of this section, says the only way you can do it is if you gaze at Jesus. Look up at the cross. I have been crucified with Christ and I no longer live, but Christ lives in me. And catch this, the life I now live in the body, my human existence. I live by faith in the son of God who loved me and who gave himself for me. Jesus goes first. Jesus is not asking us to live this story and then he's gonna, Jesus goes, I will live this story and then I will invite you into union with this story. And so when we are tempted to, to feel like we don't have what it takes to live this life, we look up and we gaze at Jesus and we say, behold the lamb of God who was slain before the foundations of the world to take away the sins of all mankind. And Jesus, I want to fight. I genuinely do want, I do. Friends, we wanna fight for ourselves. No shame in acknowledging that we're human, that we feel, that we, we get angry at times, we get anxious at times, and we feel like God's not gonna be our vindicator. And in those moments we go, I have been crucified with Christ, and now I look up at the one who loved me and he gave himself for me. And friends, what I'll say is that when you see that Jesus has stretched out his arms on the cross, you begin to stretch out your arms for others. It starts with him. And as we step into the waters of baptism and keep living that ongoing process of being baptized and rebaptized, we come up and now he starts living his life in and through us for the world. And the same Jesus who says, Father, forgive them, starts to live that story in us. And we go, hey, yeah, come here. You've been cursing us out in the parking lot for months. Get over here. Bless you, bless you, bless you. There's room for you in God's kingdom. And Jesus gets that spirit inside of us when you're tempted to think you can't do it. Look up at the cross, at the one who loved you and who gave himself for you. And don't look now, but the spirit of God starts to penetrate our hearts and change our minds and our egos begin to recede and we become the people of God afresh. Can you say amen today? Would you stand with me today, church, as the band comes? We're gonna worship we're gonna sing this song again, Up From The Waters, that we just recorded this week and that we sang earlier in the service. And what I want you to do as we're singing this song is I want you to entertain in your mind the question, what needs to go under today? What needs to get buried today? What needs to get washed downstream today and taken out of your soul? What needs to go away today. Some people will come to your mind, people that you're frustrated with, someone that broke your heart, someone who betrayed you. Maybe what comes to your mind is the person that you betrayed, the marriage that you messed up. Do you know Jesus has space for that too? Jesus has grace for you too. Whatever the stuff is, whatever the storylines are, whatever the heartbreak is, whatever the ego that's flaring up in you is, today the invitation as we sing this song is to trust it to Jesus. Let him sink it. 
<laughs> and send it down river. And you come up out of the waters new. You come up out of the waters fresh. You come up out of the waters living in resurrection life. So would you just open your hands now and invite God by his spirit to rebaptize you today. Put us under, Lord, all the old story, all the death, all the confusion, all of the hatred, all of the fear and the anxiety. Would you put it under today, Lord? We give it to you today and we ask you to raise us up. Let's sing this together. Savior, he is risen, and we are born again. He's singing again. Praise Voices lifted and hands lifted. Let's sing. Praise the Savior. He is risen. We are born Jesus, we have been saved. 
one more time before we go today. Come on here. And praise get your communion elements and be ready to receive can you get ready to go into the bridge of greater you Lord all the earth will shout your praise our hearts will cry these bones will sing church why do we come to communion at the end of the service we come to this moment to say we cannot live this way in our own strength Either Jesus is gonna feed us and make us strong or he's not. <laughs> and if he doesn't, we're in trouble. But if Jesus at this moment invites us to his table and says, look, you wanna live the crucified life? This is my body, which is broken for you. If Jesus will feed us today, then he'll send us out of here with what we need to live this life. And so Jesus Christ, we bless you. We bless you, we bless you, we bless you, broken one, shattered one, baptized one, crucified one. We need you to feed us today so we can follow you, so we can obey you, so we can live this life. Friends, on the night Jesus was betrayed, he took the bread and broke it. And he said, this is my body, which is broken for you. And as often as you do this, remember, you may receive the bread today. On the same night, he took the cup of wine. He said, this cup is the new covenant given in my blood. And it's given for the remission of your sins. God does not bring you here to the table to shame you. <laughs> he doesn't bring you here to the table to wag the finger at you and tell you how stupid. He comes and says, hey, you thirsty? Come here. <laughs> Let me restore you. Let me renew you. Let me give you life. Let me give you the cup that's gonna bring joy. Friends, your sins have been forgiven and you are clean, and this is the good news. You may receive the cup today. Come on, church.
Would you open your hands now as we go to pray benediction, blessing of God over you, over all your people, over everything you touch. Psalm 1, let it prosper. I pray, Lord, that you would make us courageous enough to live the crucified life. (laughs) Take some crazy people (laughs) to live the crucified life. Take some bold people to live baptized life. Make us those people, Lord. Help us to bless those that curse us. (laughs) Help us to pray for those who despitefully use us. Help us to turn the other cheek and go the extra mile and wear people out with love. Help us to throw our arms open for the life of the world just as you did on the cross, King Jesus. And Lord, I pray that that would be our evangelism strategy. (laughs) Living a different way in a crazy world, living in kindness, peace in a chaotic world. I pray, Lord, bless my friends and keep them. And make your face to shine upon them. Be gracious to them. Lord, lift your bright smiling countenance upon them and all of their people. And grant them shalom, grant them your peace. We pray today in the name of the Father and the Son and the Holy Spirit and all God's people said. Can we give God thanks for what he's done here today? Good to be together in the house of the Lord.